Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ken Samples, on ways the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. But what we discover in, in Christianity is that Jesus called God Father, and he told us that we could, and the Holy Spirit brings us into that familial union where we can speak. Uh, Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Ken Samples, next. We've spoken numerous times with apologist, theologian, and philosopher Ken Samples about topics related to church history, theology, apologetics, and classic Christian thinkers. Today, we turn our attention to God himself, specifically the Holy Spirit, and how he works in our salvation. Ken Samples has written numerous books, including his most recent, Christianity Cross-Examined, and is senior scholar with Reasons to Believe. Ken, as we discuss the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, I'm wondering if you'd first introduce us to the Holy Spirit, often referred to as the third person of the Trinity. That's a great place to begin because, Bill, there are a lot of religious groups who doubt that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, and I think both of those need to be established, that when historic Christians talk about the Holy Spirit, he is a person, and he is a divine person who shares that Godhead with both the Father uh, and the Son. So, let me say just a couple things about that. Um, the reason why we view the Holy Spirit as a person and not as a power or a force, mm -hmm. I know the Jehovah's Witnesses like to talk about like a radar beam. R radar beams are impersonal, but the Holy Spirit has personal faculties. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2.11, it says, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Well, the, the Spirit has a mind, he can track thoughts, but you also have uh, a statement in there about the divinity. Nobody knows the mind of God but God himself. Paul says, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, he is both a intellectual person, uh, and because he knows God's thoughts. He must be divine. Uh, we also recognize uh, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Well, you can't grieve a radar beam. You can't grieve a chair or a cloud. You grieve a person who has a will, who has a mind, who can, can deliberate. And we could talk about the moral qualities of God, of the Spirit of God. Uh, the Bible talks about the Spirit having wisdom, the Spirit having uh, love, and it also talks about the Spirit having uh, the capacity to communicate with us. In Luke 12, he teaches. In Acts 13, he speaks. In uh, various other places, he intercedes for us. So, 
the bottom line basic is that historic Christians begin with the affirmation that the Bible introduces us to a divine person known as the Holy Spirit. And this is a huge question, maybe too big at the beginning, but how is the Holy Spirit distinguished from the Father and the Son in that description of God, uh, which is the Trinity? What we discover, uh, particularly uh, in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, let me touch the very first couple verses of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But uh, the Father is seen as the primary agent of creation, but we also know from the New Testament that the Son speaks the universe. And then in verse 2 of Genesis, it has the Holy Spirit hovering as a hen would hover and protect and nurture the, the creation. And in the New Testament, we also see the three persons uh, we're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the definite article distinguishes these three distinct persons. Uh, I think it's fair to say that with Trinitarians, we believe when one member of the Godhead is involved in something, all of them are. But for example, in creation, uh, the Father would be the primary agent. The Son and the Spirit would, would be secondary agents. In redemption, the Son would be the primary agent. Father and the Spirit would be, uh, again, helping in that context. And then the topic we're looking at today, uh, the Holy Spirit is the primary agent in our sanctification, in convicting us of our sin. And so, uh, we really have uh, three allies who are working on our behalf to bring us into an intimate relationship. And I like to use the analogy, Bill, that God is like, and I'm using an analogy, so analogies, things are both like and unlike, God is like a family. The Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, the Spirit is the, the love that connects them together like a family. Mm. I guess I should move to asking you some of the specific questions about ways in which the Holy Spirit works in our salvation, works in our sanctification. One of those, or the, the first one, uh, he convicts us of our sin, and, and I'm wondering, what, what does that mean? Uh, it's, a, it's a term that Christians typically use, uh, we're convicted of this or that, but typically when we use convicted in the, in the world, it means of, <laughs> of a crime. Right. Well, uh, the word convicts means that the Spirit brings to our conscious awareness that we have violated the law of God. I, I like to define sin as anything contrary to the nature of God. And when we look in the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments, uh, putting something before God or uh maybe making an image of God, taking the name of God in vain. It talks about violating the Sabbath. It also talks about honoring your father and mother. And then a list of, uh, of commandments uh, that we're not to murder, we're not to commit adultery, we're not to steal, we're not to lie, we're not to covet. Uh, we commit sin by breaking the commands of God, and those commandments reflect God's holy nature. So, I love this passage in John 16, 7 and 8. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, and Jesus is speaking, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, 
Uh, that's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's translated helper, uh, sometimes counselor, sometimes advocate. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I love that passage, Bill, because how in the world would it be to our advantage that the sun would go away? Only if the person who is going to replace him is equal in nature and in personhood. And of course, the Son has the limitation of the incarnation. The Holy Spirit doesn't have that limitation. And, and so, what I love about this, one of my friends long ago, a theologian, said, the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. Mm. And I, I like that because, you know, a lot of times people who are shy, they work behind the scenes. They're not loud. They're not necessarily overt, but they're always kind of working behind the scenes. And that teaches me a lot of humility that the Holy Spirit, he loves to focus attention on the Son or on the Father. And maybe the reason why the Holy Spirit seems kind of shadowy to us is because he, he has that always wanting to direct attention uh, to Jesus Christ or to God the Father. Well, we're talking about ways, ten ways, in which the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. My guess is uh, Mr. Ken Samples, he is Senior Scholar at Reasons to Believe, and the second uh, of these ten I'd like to ask you about, Ken, is that he regenerates us. That's obviously uh, another theological term. What, what does that mean, that the Holy Spirit regenerates us? Yeah, very very critical point here. Um, the fall of human beings has caused our our spiritual death. Uh, that is when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and decided to go their own autonomous way. We have been given their fallen nature, and we die physically. But the the our spirit before God has been separated from God. And we're in a, a state where we need a new birth. We need to be regenerated. We need to be given spiritual life. And what's, of course, powerful here is that God is the one who regenerates. Uh, a lot of times we're tempted to think that salvation is completely and totally our own individual choice. But Scripture teaches us that the Spirit is the one who is working in our salvation. And uh, here, I love this passage, too. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Paul says, therefore I, I want to, I, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit ever says Jesus be accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I think what we see there is that the Holy Spirit would never lead someone to curse the Lord Jesus, but when other people confess him as Lord, such as Jesus is Lord, we know the Holy Spirit is already at work in that person, giving them spiritual life and freeing that will that's been in bondage. Well, Ken, I'd like to ask you a little bit about the, um, the regeneration uh, aspect. Is that, are we regenerated in response and I realize there's a little bit of controversy about this, perhaps, but are, are we regenerated in response to something that we do, that the Holy Spirit then says, okay, I'm going to regenerate that person? Is it something we ask for, or is it something that the Holy Spirit initiates regardless of what we do? 
As you mentioned, this is a this is a bit controversial in the history of Christianity. I mean, there there are theological traditions who say God kind of woos you, he kind of calls you, he invites you, he tries to get you to move in his direction. Of course, there are others who say no, God has God does that, but he has to do more. He has to clear your mind. He has to uh, convict you and incline your will. Um, I would say that I think Scripture is very, very clear. We don't regenerate ourselves. Uh, certainly, God doesn't treat us like robots. We are involved personally in the process, but it is the Holy Spirit who gives us life, and it's, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us so that we recognize, wow, I need to be brought back into a, a personal uh, and thriving spiritual relationship with God. Another uh, aspect of how the Holy Spirit works in our salvation is that he reveals Christ to us. Uh, that's uh, according to the scripture, but what? how does he do that? What does that mean? Yeah, I again, I really appreciate uh, that the Spirit is always drawing attention to the Son. Um, you know, when we ask, well, who who is Jesus Christ? I think the biblical answer is he's the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father. The, the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew Mashiach or Messiah. So when we say Jesus, Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. And Messiah means the anointed one. God would anoint kings and prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, well, Jesus has the unique anointing. And what I like about that, Bill, is if, if Jesus Christ or the Son is the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father, you can't have the Son without the Spirit and the Father, this Trinitarian element. Uh, here's one of the passages that I like to cite in this context. Again, it's 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, and it reads this way, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Well, he couldn't know the depths of God if he weren't God. Mm -hmm. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's role is uh, to reveal salvation to us. Uh, the Holy Spirit's role in redemption is absolutely essential, and that's why I think religious groups that don't embrace the Trinity, they have a convoluted system. And I've spent my adult life studying groups that don't accept the Trinity, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism or Christadelphianism, whatever they may be. And Bill, usually there is uh, two components uh, they reject the Trinity, and they reject salvation by grace. And I think the reason they're connected, if you reject the Trinity, you reject grace because you don't recognize the Spirit's role in providing salvation. So, Christian theology is interconnected. Um, you know, once you go wrong about the Trinity, everything is, uh, in many ways, uh, halted. Well, Ken, another way in which the uh, Holy Spirit works in our salvation, I'm going to try to touch on uh, ten of them, is that he enables us to worship authentically, and I'm wondering, how is that so? What is uh, 
What is authentic worship? Yeah, the the Holy Spirit um, here in Philippians three three it says, "For we are we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh." I think what Paul there is communicating to us is that God has given His covenant to the uh, the Jewish people. But with the coming of the Messiah and the emergence of the church with Gentiles and Jews, um, then we are able to worship God uh, apart from apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from the Holy Spirit revealing God to us, revealing Christ to us. Uh, we will naturally worship other things and engage in idolatry. So what I see in this verse is. We who worship by the Spirit and the glory in Christ Jesus put no confidence in the flesh. The idea there is, that, again, um, the Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is, and he then allows us to be able to worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And conversely, is it possible to explain what might be false uh, worship or fake worship? Yeah, Um you know the Bible's very clear. Um, there, there are a lot of important things that non-Christians have that Christians have. Everybody's made in the image of God. Everybody is the recipient of common grace. We look at the heavens and see the glory of God. We all experience uh, uh, common grace. The Lord is loving even to people who don't believe in Him or trust in Him. The rain and the sun, they receive that. And yet there is also that fallen nature, which undoubtedly leads to false beliefs, false gods, false Christs, false gospels. And so when I look at the world's religions, Bill, what I expect is they will get some things right, but then there will be some very serious errors about the nature of God, about the nature of Christ or the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we see. I mean, Hinduism, in my view, is... I don't think we should think of it as a single religion. It's like a, a number of religions in one. I mean, you could be a Hindu and worship the universe. You could be a Hindu and worship only one god, Krishna, or you could worship 330 million gods. Um, the Holy Spirit focuses us on worshiping the triune god. W without Christ, without the Spirit and the Father, uh, we have a nature to... Uh, uh, I like what St. Augustine says. He says, we're lovers and worshipers, and uh, without Christ, without God, we become idolaters. Another way, Ken, that the Holy Spirit works in our salvation is he imparts God's love to us. Uh, I think the scripture talks about he pours God's love into our hearts. Um, yes. what, what does that uh, mean? How does that, how does that work? That's, a, that's such an important idea, Bill. Um, you know, when Jehovah's Witnesses knock at my door or when I talk with Muslims online, I will often ask them, uh, because uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims have a similarity, their God is one God, one person. Both, uh, both Islam and Jehovah's Witnesses vigorously reject the Trinity. So I ask them, who did Jehovah or who did Allah love 
before he created the world, before he had angels and humans to love? Who did he love? They've usually never been asked that question, and I can see the lights going on. And what I say to them is, uh, in both cases, the problem there is that God has no one to love. So how can he fulfill him? Does he have to create to fulfill himself, to get love? Not with the Trinity. Um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they don't need to create something external to enjoy this loving, giving, sharing relationship. And I think what we see here in Romans 5, uh, again, Paul says, and I and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love this because the Father is the one who gives the Spirit, the Father sends the Son, uh, but salvation is accomplished in Christ, and then it's, then it's delivered or assimilated by the Holy Spirit. Again, I, I come back to the idea of how important it is to think about the Trinity, and unfortunately, I don't think in our evangelical churches we talk enough about the Trinity. I would just ask this question, how many sermons have you ever heard on the Trinity? Mm. My answer would be probably not enough. Well, again, the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, dwells in us, dwells in believers in Jesus, and that's, uh, you know, in one sense, that's a very comforting thought, a uh, very strengthening thought, but uh, can you talk about that? How, uh, yeah. in what sense does he, does he dwell within us? Yeah, this is uh, this is another great biblical truth that, uh, and I, and I like where you began with that 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 there is a deep sense of comfort. Romans eight eleven says, "If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit, who dwells in you." Well. Um, how close is God? I mean, you know, when you go through suffering, maybe you lose a loved one, or maybe you have a very serious health crisis, or maybe your financial situation is in dire straits. It's easy to think to yourself, where's God? Uh, how come God is not near? Um, but it is passages like this that say God is within our very being, we have a union with God. He is inside us, and in being inside us, He can convict us, He can inspire us, He can do all of these kinds of things. So, we have the Holy Spirit living within our very being, and this, is, this really is spiritual life. Uh, the life of God, uh, you know, the, the spiritual life of God is, is characterized in the Holy Spirit. So, the Lord is with us at all times. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. Um, and, uh, you know, when we read His Word, the Spirit uses that Word to, to reinforce, to convict, to teach. And He helps us pray uh, in, in some way. Yes. It says, groanings, yeah. too deep for words. Yes, and, and you know, I... I have to freely admit, uh, I wish that my prayer life was deeper and more profound than it is. I recognize, however, that it is an essential kind of component. But, you know, Paul says, look, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. 
Uh, there are times I don't know how to pray. Maybe I'm maybe I'm facing a challenge, or maybe I I'm, I'm trying to get the right words to reflect my gratitude to God. But the Holy Spirit He teaches us how to commune with the Father and the and the Son. And again, the the critical idea of the Holy Spirit. Imagine how people feel when they think the Holy Spirit is an impersonal power. Well, how could an impersonal power teach us to communicate with Almighty God? The only reason the Holy Spirit can do all these wonderful things is because he is the third person of the Godhead. Well, my guest today on His People, Mr. Ken Sample, Senior Scholar at Reasons to Believe, and uh, we're talking about 10 ways the Holy Spirit works in our salvation, uh, ways which the Scripture describes for us, and Ken is uh, explaining these, and of course there are other things the Holy Spirit does as well, but he incorporates us into the church, and I think when a lot of people think of the church, of course, they think of the, the building that they that they go to on a Sunday or occasionally some on, on Saturday for, for worship, but uh, there, there's something else going on there, of course. Absolutely, and First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen it says this, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. I think of our own time, Bill, where we have so much discussion of uh, race, gender, and class, but what we see in the Christian church, and, it, and it's not merely a building, it is being brought into union with God, that God has Jews and Greeks. I mean, that is a revolutionary statement. Uh, Paul later in Galatians says, um, no difference between Jew and Greek, uh, Jew or Gentile, no difference between male or female, uh, slave or free. Talk about liberation. Talk about, talk about a basis for dignity and value. The Holy Spirit brings us into unity, and I like talking about the Holy Spirit because I'd like to see the church much more unified than it is. I think uh, if Christians were more united, we could accomplish a great deal more. I also think that all denominations and branches of Christendom have forces that really are against them, and we need to rely upon each other. And what's the union? It's the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into the body of Christ. And then the tenth uh, of these major ways that I'd like to ask you about, Ken, in which the Holy Spirit works in our salvation is he makes us realize that God is our Father, that, that aspect of, uh, of adoption. Yes, exactly. And I, I love that adoption. Many metaphors of redemption, but one of them is this familial idea of adoption, that we're brought into the family of God. You know, in the Quran, the word father never appears. Allah is never called father. Uh, but what we discover in, in Christianity is that Jesus called God father, and he told us that we could and the Holy Spirit brings us into that familial union where we can speak. Uh, Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, it's, it's a remarkable thing, Bill, to be able in 
whatever situation you find yourself, to know that God is your father. I mean, we think of a father is a father provides for his family, a father protects his family. Well, we have a father who doesn't have limited resources. He has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, all love, and we can call him father. Um, I can't think of a more hopeful and meaningful and purposeful way of thinking. And you know what, Bill? When I when I read the scriptures about the Holy Spirit, I just feel warm inside. I, I feel a joy. And uh, I love it that the Holy Spirit is, again, described as he's a helper, he's a counselor, he's an advocate. I, I like to think of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as our three allies working in union to bring us into that intimate relationship with the triune God. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Ken Samples, Senior Scholar at Reasons to Believe. Go to reasons.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People. His People.